What features come to mind when you think of heaven? If you can only see the pearly gates and the streets of gold, you need to broaden your heavenly horizons. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals more of the amazing sights that await you in your eternal home, as well as what they symbolize. To wrap up the series, Signs, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Heavenly City. Well, we started at the beginning and we're at the end. 31 separate messages, three months of teaching on prophecy called the 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's all based on a book called The Book of Signs, a 460-page hardback book, and you can get that book from Turning Point, davidjeremiah.org. It's one of our best-selling volumes in all the books that we've written. This one, which is the largest book, ended up being one of the bestsellers. Can you imagine that? I think it's because of what's in the book. It's because of the material. It's because of the information that we've provided that people want to know about. What's going to happen in the future? How can we get ready? What should we be looking for? It's in the book of signs. And there are three study guides that go with it. And there's three sets of CDs and other ancillary material that you will see when you go to our website. You can order all of this and have it sent to your home and be ready to do your own personal study or conduct a small group study or teach a Sunday school class or just use it for your own personal benefit. Um, But we won't be talking about this material anymore after today because this is the end of that series. This is the final message. This is part two of The Heavenly City, and uh, we'll be finished with the Book of Signs and the 31 Undeniable Prophecies as of this day. Thank you so much for your listening, for your participation, for your response. It has been nothing short of amazing. Well, part two of The Heavenly City is as exciting as part one. It gets you really pumped up about heaven and what it's going to be like someday when we spend eternity with our Lord. This is a city whose builder and maker is God. Now notice, it is a city like a cube. It is a cube city. Did you know that the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle is 20 by 20 by 20. And many people believe that the New Jerusalem is a huge holy of holies, as was the sacred inner sanctuary in the temple of God. It perfectly fits the truth that this city will be the very place in which God makes his dwelling. Look down at your Bible for just a moment, and notice how interesting is verse 3 of chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, watch this, the tabernacle of God is with men. The holy of holy of gods will be that new city, the city of Jerusalem. Well, that's all the time I have to tell you about the dimensions of the city, except that it is larger than anything you can imagine. It is more brilliant than anything you can dream of. And so let's talk about the inside of the city for just a moment. And I want to take seven things that John tells us in these two chapters and just touch on them briefly. There are things that you have heard, and I want to clarify the reality of them. Most of the time when a person does not believe the Bible or he's a skeptic as far as the Bible is concerned, when anything seems unreasonable to him, he rationalizes and says it's symbolic. 
One of the reasons why the allegorical interpretation of the Bible grew so rapidly during the rationalistic age is because people refused to believe that God was capable of doing anything that was not explainable through human rational process. But if you go there, you're dead after verse 1 of Genesis. In the beginning, God. If you can't get past Genesis 1, you've got no place to go. And if God can create the heaven and the earth, he can do anything he pleases. And when he says in this book that this is what he is creating for the end of time, I choose to believe it because the only alternative is to spiritualize away all of the truth of the scripture, which leaves you nowhere. So the Bible begins to tell us what it's going to be like inside the city. First of all, verse 2 of chapter 21 says it's a holy city. Then I, John, saw the holy city. The chief characteristic of this city into which we will one day move is it's holy. In the Wycliffe Bible commentary, it is described like this. A holy city will be one in which no lie will be uttered in 100 million years. No evil word will ever be spoken. No shady business deals will ever be discussed. No unclean picture will ever be seen. No corruption of life will ever be manifest. It will be holy because everyone in it will be holy. You can't get into the holy city unless you are born again and you've gone to heaven. Heaven is the place of the holy city. Not only is it a holy city, but the Bible says it's a place where the gates are made out of pearl. You know, we didn't just make this up. This is not folklore. This is right from the Bible. Notice verse 12, verse 17, and verses 18 and 21 in Revelation chapter 21. And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the construction of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Now watch this. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And I know some of you are thinking, now, Pastor, that's some kind of an oyster. (laughs) Come on now, watch. Again, is God limited to the building of a pearl by an oyster? I don't think so. And if he wanted to make an oyster that big, he could do it. But it doesn't say anything about how this happened. It just says it's there. As we look at the 12 gates of pearl, we see the names of the 12 tribes of Israel inscribed. And the 12 gates are really a part of a wall that surrounds the city. And John sees this whole wall like a glittering diamond bracelet. He says the construction of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And so if you were to see it from afar, it would just sparkle and shine as it turned around. And all the hues of the glory of the city would be so overwhelming, it would take your breath away. You'd have to wear sunglasses as you got close. Dr. Criswell, who was one of my mentors, had a very interesting statement about the pearl gates. Listen to what he said. He said there is a sermon in the fact that the gates are pearl. Because heaven is entered through suffering and travail, through redemption and blood, and through the agony of the cross, a pearl is a jewel made by a little animal that is wounded. Without the wound, the pearl is never formed. And he said, that's the way it is for us when we get to heaven. We'll walk through the gates of pearl, and as we do, we'll be reminded that the only reason we're there is because of the suffering and the pain of the Lord Jesus who paid the wound for us that we might be redeemed. So it's a holy city with pearly gates. And then next, the Bible tells us that the foundations of the city are of precious stones, Revelation 21, 19, and 20. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, 
The first foundation was jasper and sapphire and chalcedony and emerald and sardonyx and sardius and chrysolite and beryl and topaz and chrysoprase and jacinth and amethyst. And all of those are just Greek terms that have been translated into the English language describing all of the colors and all of the hue of the rainbow that we know today. And the Bible says that this great city, which is four square, that descends out of heaven, will be built upon, and you will see it, a 12-layer foundation, each of the layers a different beautiful stone, emerald and diamond and all of the beautiful stones that are found throughout all of the universe. Each of the foundations will be a different one. And so when you see the foundation of the city, you'll be overwhelmed with the beauty of all of the gemstone foundations underneath this gigantic city of God. Can you imagine? The building's greatest strength is its foundation. And the New Jerusalem is not one foundation, but 12. Rather than being 12 individual foundations separated from each other, they are packed upon each other and you see them all together in little ripples of gold and precious stones. And then the Bible says it's not only a holy city with pearly gates and foundation of precious stones, but it's a place where there are streets of gold. I know that some of you think that's a folklore. You hear all about the streets of gold. And hey, we're going to walk on streets of gold. It's in all of the old Negro spirituals. It's in all of the old gospel songs, the streets of gold. Are there really streets of gold in heaven? Well, I'm just going to tell you what the Word of God says. Look down at verse 18, then again at verse 21 of chapter 21. And the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And notice verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, if you've ever looked at pure gold, you know that pure gold is not transparent. It's opaque. You can't see through pure gold. But John describes heaven's city as transparent glass. The gold of heaven is so pure that men seem to look into it and through its clear depths as they walk upon it. It is finely polished as a mirror, and therefore it is not so much transparent, but it's translucent. And as you think about this, and you wonder how that could be, that a city could have streets of gold that are pure gold, but that you can see through, don't forget also that in the glorified bodies that you will have then, your perceptions will be different, and something might appear to you then as being both solid and transparent. If we have glorified bodies, surely our eyesight will be different and completely enhanced, and we'll be able to see things as we've never seen them before. And so the streets of the city of this new Jerusalem will look to us, and in reality they will be streets of gold that you can literally see through the gold like you would look through a window pane. And that's the best I can do to describe what John tells us. And then we have the Lamb that is the light in Revelation 21, verse 11 and 23. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And the city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. In the New Jerusalem, there will be no light posts. There will be no lanterns. There will be no lamps. There will be the presence of light throughout the city that emanates from the throne of God where sits the Lamb who is the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that in that city, He will be the light. And there will be no need for any other light because the brilliance of the light of the Lord Jesus in His glorification will fill the city with brilliance. I can't imagine it. 
Once again, can you imagine seeing the city as you approach it, seeing the city from afar, the gold on the outside, the precious stones on the foundations, and this beautiful sense of light that emanates from out of the city from the throne of God. This is the new Jerusalem described in the scripture. It is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 60 and verse 19. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. When the Bible says that this city reflects light, it is not from any material combustion. It is not from any consumption of fuel. It is from the Lamb himself who is the light of the world, and in that moment, he will be the light of the city. No wonder Paul described our future like this. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, he said, It is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Now, we talk about heaven sometimes flippantly. We have a lot of jokes about heaven. I refrain from giving you all the epitaphs that I've got in the mail about heaven. But I want to tell you something, friends. In all of the fun we have with it, don't lose this truth. Heaven is a magnificent place created by the greatest creator, the creator of all creation, the creator of creativity, has saved his best work until the last, and he is creating for us a place that is so phenomenal that I'm just so overwhelmed, we don't talk about it more. Yes, I know people say, well, you'll get so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. I don't find that to be true. I find that people who really have an understanding of where they're headed and how wonderful it is have a greater sense of purpose while they're on this earth. That we come together as God's people with a realization that God has given us the privilege of being his real estate agents, going out into the hinterland and inviting people to come and participate in his crown production, the heavenly Jerusalem, by putting their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. So here again, we come face to face with this question. What will heaven be like? Well, it's a holy city with pearly gates and foundations of precious stones and streets of gold and a lamb who is the light. And then notice there is a tree of life in the city. Verse 2, and in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of all the nations. Let me just touch on that quickly. The Bible says that in the city of Jerusalem, There is a river, and we're going to see this in a moment, that flows down from the throne where the Lamb sits. And on each side of this river are planted not just the tree, but the trees of life. The tree there is a word which is used for the plurality of the trees. And you will see there are 12 trees. And these trees bear different kinds of fruit each month throughout the year. So every month, there's a whole new crop of different kinds of fruit that grow on these trees. And someone has pointed out that you and I in eternity are going to be able to eat from the very same tree that was planted in the Garden of Eden, only this time without prohibition, and we won't get everybody in trouble. Oh, what a delight it is to just picture in your mind that beautiful city shining as it is with the water coming down from the throne of God and the trees of life planted on each side. Which brings us back to this whole deal. Do we get to eat in heaven? And I want to remind you again of this wonderful truth. Yes, we get to eat. We can eat all we want. We'll never gain any weight. There are no calories in heaven's food. We will never have any diets. We will eat for enjoyment and for the pleasure of it without bearing any of the human penalties that we now bear. 
But I want to remind you that program doesn't start till you get to heaven. So I want you to understand that, right? Notice in your Bible, it says that the leaves are for healing of the nations. The word healing in the Greek language is the word from which we get therapeutic. It says that you'll be able to eat the leaves of the tree and the leaves will give you a greater sense of your life and your presence there. It will not enhance your holiness because you will be perfectly holy, but will give you a greater sense of enjoyment. It is therapeutic, it says in the scripture. Are you getting a picture of this place? Is this phenomenal or what? And finally, the last thing is the river of life in verses 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You will have to do in this great city is follow the water that is flowing, and it will take you right back to the throne of God. Do you remember Psalm 46, 4? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is the river that is spoken about in the book of Revelation. Now, I feel like I have given you three months of study of heaven in just about 20 minutes. But I want to just review for a moment. Heaven is a city four square, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. It will have the potential to house all of the people who have ever trusted in Christ from the very beginning of time, including all of those who have died before the age of accountability, all of the children who have died without having an opportunity to receive Christ, all of those who are not mentally capable of understanding the gospel. This city will be large enough to house everyone. Don't ever let anyone say to you again, well, you know, I don't believe in heaven. It couldn't possibly be big enough for everyone. It is big enough for everyone who will be there. And it will be not crowded by any means. Take my word for it. And not only that, but it will be a magnificently beautiful city. Like nothing you have ever seen. It will sparkle in the atmosphere. It will glow. It will have a sense of drawing you into itself. I wish I had a vocabulary greater than the one that I have to help you understand. Don and I took a little break. We saw Istanbul. And we spent a day at the ruins in Ephesus, and we saw the Acropolis in Athens. But my favorite place on the whole journey was a place called Santorini. It's built up on a cliff. Literally, it's built on the top of a volcanic ruin. And there's nothing on the side of the cliff from way up to the top of, the, of it all the way to the ground. But on the top, on the top of this ruin is a city. And all of the houses are white. And it is the most gorgeous place you've ever seen in your life. It's all of the quaintness of Europe and all of the beauty that you've imagined it could be. All the little winding streets and shops until you cannot imagine. So many shops. But the thing that is so glorious about it is the approach to it. Coming on a sail ship towards Santorini and all of a sudden looking up. And there, elevated way above the sea, is this white city, almost as if it's suspended in space. And all week long, I'm thinking about the holy city and God's heaven, and I'm thinking, wow, what a beautiful place. And it doesn't even hold a candle to what God has envisioned for those of us who put our trust in him. Santorini is child's play compared to the holy city. One day, we're going to walk into that city And we're going to just, our mouths are going to drop open. 
and we're going to understand how God loves us and how he's cared for us, that he would prepare for us such a place. And it's not even the whole of heaven. It's just the capital city of heaven. And the Bible says the gates are never closed and we'll go in and out and we'll find pleasure in that city with God and his people. And I hate to end on a negative note, but I need to end on a warning note. I've talked to you about the dimensions of the city and the description of the city, but I want to just remind you about the denial to the city. Not everyone gets into the heavenly city. Notice verse 8 of chapter 21. But the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the sexually immoral and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Verse 27, but there shall by no means enter into this city anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible doesn't say that you cannot have committed any of these sins and then not go to heaven. It doesn't say that you can't have been sexually immoral or that you can't have lied. It doesn't say that. It says if that is your lifestyle and you've never repented of it and you continue to live that way, avoiding the opportunity that God has given you to be forgiven of that sin and to turn from it toward holiness, if you continue to live in that lifestyle without any regard to the forgiveness of God, you will never go to the holy city because you will not have repented and you won't be saved. And the Bible says that the only people that get in the city are people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there are no exceptions. No one will be able to argue their way into that city when the time comes. If you have not accepted God's plan for your life and received his forgiveness for your sin, when the moment comes, you will be denied entrance into heaven and into the city we have described. And oh, how I don't want that to happen to you. I believe that the reason God gives us health and life and energy as his people is so that we can be his divine ambassadors going all over the world, in and out of cities and on the radio and on television and through writing, telling everyone we can find there's a place God's prepared for you and he wants you to come there. He loves you and he wants to bring you to himself, but he will not bring into that city those who refuse to acknowledge their own sin and accept the penalty that Jesus paid for on the cross and be forgiven. So in all of these messages on heaven, there is this wonderful hope and good news, but there's always in every passage this little subtle reminder, don't take for granted you're going there if you haven't repented of your sin and accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But after the warning is the invitation. Did you know that the Bible tells us here in the 22nd chapter, that all we have to do is come unto him and he will receive us. The Bible tells us that he knocks at the door of our heart waiting for us to open the door. But he will not come in without your invitation. That's the whole deal. So I want to ask you today as we close this time of teaching, have you received Christ into your life? Have you made your reservation for the heavenly city? This is the time you must do it. There's no chance after death. There's no second chance. This is it. This is the time. The time for reservations open right now. This is the open reservation season. And God is asking you in your heart, have you made that decision? And if you haven't, will you do it today? Amen. Amen. You know, there's going to be a lot of sadness one day in the future when people who think they've made preparation for heaven discover they haven't. And uh, the Bible tells you what you must do. Uh, the Bible says that... Um, 
you must accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because he's the truth and he's the way and he's the life and nobody comes to the Father except through him. If you want to go to heaven someday, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do that right now. Celebrate the end of this series by making certain that your relationship with God is solid because your relationship with his Son is you you know when that happened, when you invited Christ into your life. He alone can take you to heaven. Don't forget, friends, that during this month, we're making available a very special book to encourage people to think seriously about heaven. It's called After the Rapture. I can't wait for you to see it and experience it and use it to share the gospel with your friends. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of May. That's right. All you have to do is say, here's my gift to help you with broadcast time and production. And please send me the book after the rapture. And it'll be on its way to you as soon as we get your request. Be sure to join us tomorrow for another message from the Word of God. I'm David Jeremiah. Have a great day. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God blessing you with this ministry? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow for the first of two special messages from the seven churches of Revelation on Turning Point. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca jsb. One of the great love stories in all of literature involves a young woman named Ruth. 
The love between Ruth and her new husband is notable enough, but it was Ruth's love in the form of loyalty for her mother-in-law, Naomi, that is so striking. It was Ruth who told Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. In other words, Ruth wasn't about to abandon her destitute mother-in-law. Ruth was loyal to Naomi. Loyalty is missing from a lot of discussions about love, but it is a key component. Love means being committed forever. Thankfully, God is a loyal lover towards us. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's loyalty on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.